Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. New activation and upfront payment for three-month plan required. Taxes and fees extra. Additional restrictions apply. See mintmobile.com for full terms. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com And welcome back to Scarred for Life, the podcast where we open up old wounds by looking back at the films that scared us as kids. I'm Terry. And I'm Mary Beth. And each episode, our special guest brings with them a movie that traumatized them as a child. This week, our guest is Ryuhei Kitamura, director of films such as Midnight Meat Train, Godzilla Final Wars, Versus, and his newest film, The Price We Pay, which is available now on VOG. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for inviting me here. 
Thanks for joining us. We're really, really excited to talk with you both. Mary Beth and I, um, I, well, I was introduced to your work with the Midnight Meat Train, which when it came out, uh, was playing at, I had to like track it down in my city where it was playing, but I made my friends go see it opening night. We sat down and watched it in this really small theater. And it was one of my favorite movie experiences. I still think fondly back to today. So thank you for that. Thank you. It's a fun movie. And Bradley Cooper, uh, boy, what a, what a <laughs> what star. A what a cutie. He's amazing. Yes. He's a, he's a, <laughs> of course, you know, amazing actor, producer, director, and, but, uh, you know, he is a wonderful person. So uh, yeah. I'm very happy for him. <laughs> yeah. But so tell us a little about your new film, The Price of Pay, and what it's all about. It, this is like, you know, my uh, passion fun project, which I came up with the idea with my writing partner, Chris Jolly, in the middle of the pandemic lockdown. We had nothing to do. And of course, you know, <laughs> all of my uh, movie projects were postponed or disappeared. So, um you know, instead of, you know, depressing or <laughs> frustrated or stressed out or worry about if this is the end of the world, you know, we just wanted to, you know, come up with new ideas so that when the world opens up again, you know, I just, you know, wanted to have fun. So this originally was started almost like, you know, kind of like Friends indie movie, which is my, you know, back to my basic. Mm-hmm. And um, I just wanted to do something like 80s, 90s vibe, crazy, you know, bloody gore splatter, you know, horror movie. So we started uh, trading ideas. And in a few months, we had the script and which we really happy with. And luckily, the script went into the hands of Emil Harsh and he, you know, loved the script. He was a fan of me and he said he's he's on board. Oh wow. And even better was he made a phone call to his buddy Stephen Doof. And Stephen called me and we started we chat for like 10 minutes and he said, you know, hey, I love everything you said. I'm in. So suddenly I got Emil Hush and Stephen Doof. So <laughs> Hell yeah. it, it happened so fast, but but I had only you know four weeks window because I had the obligation to do this uh, bigger movie in Japan, you know. So uh within four and a half weeks. I had to go to Japan, so it was like, you know, are we doing this? But, you know, movie making, it's always now or never. Right. If you miss the window, you never know when three of us are available. Do we have the money again or not? So, uh, you know, I thought for like five seconds and said, it's now or never. I'm going to do it. So uh, four weeks mean one week to prep, which is five days, and three weeks to shoot, 15 days. So um, this was crazy, intense <laughs> experience, but uh, we had so much fun. Yeah. Wow. I know. And so I I heard um, that the ending of this movie is a little bit different than what you originally wrote. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Is that true? And what could you maybe tell us a little bit about how the original ending was for the film? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, like I said, I have only five days, you know, I just drove yeah. in to New Mexico and we started, you know, joined with my local producer over there and, you know, started looking for the location, right? So within five days, there's not much you can find. I had to deal with, yeah. you know, what I can find. Luckily, we have, you know, amazing locations in New Mexico. That's Colossus. But uh, this particular scene for the, the climax final fight, the big explosive death scene happens at the end of the movie. You know, it was very different, but we couldn't find the location and we didn't have time or money to make that set. So I had to come up with something, you know, new, completely different, you know, 
because I basically, after like three days looking around, I basically knew what I can find in Las Cruces area, right? Right. So uh, I called uh, my writer, Christopher Jolly, in London and said like, hey, we have to come up with a new ending. <laughs> this is what I have. I, ha- I have this wasteland, desert. I have this farmhouse. That's it. <laughs> That's it. We have to do something in this, you know, basically the outside because we don't have original ending was climax was in you know, everything was happened in underground. Okay. Yeah. But uh, so I said, you know, no, no, we have to, we want to go out and everything happens outside the final, like, you know, five minutes of the movie and we have to come up with completely new, you know, so, um, just because we didn't have enough time or money to do what was written in the script doesn't mean that, you know, we just compromise. We ha- That means yeah. we have to come up with an even better idea, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah. I take my job very seriously. It is a job, but it's not really a job. This is, this is the only thing I wanted to do in my life, you know, since I was like 17. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I can't give up that easy. So, uh and I really like to work with cast and crew and writer who are willing to, uh, you know, take challenge because I ask a lot because there got to be a reason that, you know, uh, all of us gather that, at that particular moment of your life and, you know, working on this movie. So, you know, let's do something, you know, we haven't done before and let's just try our best, you know. So uh, Christopher Jolly, he took a challenge and he came up with this new climax big death scene at the end which is in the movie yeah but uh, he sent me that script like probably like two days before we started shooting <laughs> <laughs> so um, <laughs> we were trying to figure and it's when you watch the movie you you get it it's very complicated you know big scene right so we it were is. like how are we gonna how are we even gonna do this you know but like I said, I'm not going to give up. So, you know, me and my crew are like trying to figure out, you know, while we were shooting in this crazy schedule in this, you know, heat of New Mexico, right? Part of my crew was just doing this all kinds of tasks with the dummy and, you know, the stunt double. How are we going to do this? And, you know, every time they show me the clip, I say, like, you know, I don't like this. This is not enough. Do it again. Do it again. So we were just trying to figure out how to do it while we were shooting, which was already the you know, nightmarish chaos happening. <laughs> wow. Wow. But, uh, but I think it, in the end, it, it paid off, you know. Even hey, it this, did. Yeah. this chaotic, you know, uh, passion, energy, you know. So we were like yelling every day because nothing was really <laughs> working right. Of course, if you have only five days to prep, nothing really going to work, right? Right. Yeah. But even though you have three months of prep, once you start filming every day on the set, something going to happen, you know. Oh, and yeah. That's the nature of the filmmaking. So if you only had five days to prep, <laughs> every day was like a crisis. But um, even that, you know, the stress, pressure, anger, everything, I think we all, you know, transformed into this crazy, chaotic, you know, final 10 minutes 15 minutes 20 minutes of this climax movie (laughs) so i I, i'm curious because you've done a lot of work in japan making films and you also have kind of come up to the also to hollywood and so i wanted to hear more about like the biggest differences you see between making films in japan versus making films in the u.s and like what how different those experiences are if they're different it's not i didn't feel i moved here exactly 16 years ago today 
Oh, January. Whoa. This is the day I moved to LA 16 years ago already. Wow. wow. That's cool. Then I jumped into pre-production of the Midnight Me train. So okay. uh, but, uh, to be honest, adjusting to Hollywood was easier than you know, moving to a different country. I had to, you know, take care about like my social, you know, <laughs> security yeah. number. And like, you know, the biggest problem I had was like, you know, I had no credit history because I was new. Right. So when I go out to buy the car, you know, like, uh, you know, they wouldn't sell me. You don't have the credit history. I mean, of course I'm new here. What do you, what do you want me to what do? You do? Expect? <laughs> so that, that's a funny story that, uh, so I, I went walk into the office of uh, Lakeshore Entertainment where I was writing, you know, working on the script, you know. Mm-hmm. I walk into the office of Tom Rosenberg. He was the big boss of, you know, the big producer, you know, Oscar winning producer. So I went to Tom's office and I said, hey, Tom, you got to help me out. You know, I can't even buy a car. I mean, I can't, I can't worry about how do I buy my car while I'm walking about walking on for you to do this, you know, movie, right? Then he made a phone, couple of phone call and I went to this uh, car dealer, Galpin, right? And then this is a nice gentleman, old gentleman, you know, <laughs> Stuart. Yeah, I was introduced to, and this Stuart was the guy who used to like, you know, selling the cars to all the Hollywood celebrity, like Marlon Brando. Oh, wow. You know. So I said, hey, you you gotta help me out. You know, how do I get my you know this credit history thing? How do I get? Then he said, like, you know, you just buy expensive car, cash. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, and that's what I did, you know. <laughs> and so I, I, at that time, I bought two cars, you know, and uh, one car, which was, you know, my personal car, I wanted to, of course, you know, this was my first time in America. I wanted to, you know, buy American car. And I decided yeah. to buy, of course, Ford Mustang, right? Ah, mm-hmm. So I bought the Ford Mustang. Then we were driving, me and Stuart were driving to do all the paperwork. We passed this garage, says G G A S gas. Galping old service or something. And I knew that place because there was this famous MTV program called Pimp My Ride. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. So, yes. so I was like, hey, Stuart, is that the place from Pimp My Ride? Can they pimp my ride? So I said, yes. So I drove into the garage and oh, I said, shit. Hey. and I bought a black Ford Mustang. So I said, hey, I need a red stripe in the middle. Then, you know. <laughs> So I was changing everything, everything. <laughs> then so was like, cool. you know, change, change the wheel to this one, change this, whatever the, the, the panel to this one, this one, this one, this one, and add this, you know, the parts and, you know, we were customizing it, right? Then he started to telling me about the wheel, changing the wheel. This Mustang already had a super cool wheel, but uh, he was bringing out some customized wheel. So I started to get worried. So I said, hey, Stuart, I mean... How much? How much is this Ford Mustang now? <laughs> is it, it's the price of like a Porsche or Ferrari right now. What? 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 Then this steward, I still remember this steward looked right into my eyes and he said, "Hey, if you wear a nice shirt, you wear nice shoes." <laughs> and like, All right, you won. Okay, change the wheel. So <laughs> this Ford Mustang, customized, you know, by gas. <laughs> was super expensive but uh you know i love the car <laughs> do you still have it no no i sold it yeah okay <laughs> i was like oh do you still have it in the garage <laughs> no I, I i changed it to a newer version of ford mustang mm, okay 
I had it wow. for like yeah, four or five years, but then I sold it. But that was, that was like fun experience. So, you know, I just think to living in United States was much harder than adjusting to Hollywood system. Actually, you know, adjusting to Hollywood system wasn't that much difference to me because movie making is, to me, it's all about, you know, communicate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You talk to the producer, talk to the writer, talk to the cast and crew. And, you know, just because everything starts with like, you know, my vision here, right? So I just try to explain what I'm thinking and, you know, my uh, my philosophy of movie making, which is, you know, I I just don't want to do, you know, copy somebody's work or copy my own work. I always try to, it's very hard because we got influence from all over, you know. Yeah. I, watch, I grew up watching 70s movie, 80s movie, 90s movies, and, you know, everything you need, it's, it's there, right? Right. <laughs> and it's yeah, so yeah. Fun. Something totally new by now, you know, because our great, great, great former directors already done everything. So, but at least I always try to come up with you know, some little bit of a different angle, new take. So I take my job. That's why I you know very seriously. But to, to do that, you know, I need to explain my passion, mm-hmm. my vision to my casting crew and the producer and the writer. So, uh, but that's basically the same thing, you know. No matter where I make movie, so. Uh, no, that wasn't cool. that hard. The biggest, okay. you know, challenging thing, biggest difference is in Japan, there is no union. That's that's the big difference. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. they they don't even have the contract, believe it or not. Oh, really? <laughs> oh. Here, everything, everything. You Everything's go through a contract. Your agent, the lawyers, and tons of insane amount of paperwork. Japan, nope. I still haven't signed the movie came out in Japan last year. No. Sorry, it's incredible. No, I still haven't signed it. (laughs) Anything. So, like, it's just crazy. But that's just, uh, it's kind of good and bad. But, uh, you know, it's it's just a huge difference. So, no paperwork, no union means no rule in Japan. So, my record of nonstop shooting is 46 hours. No sleep, no break, no lunch. We were we were like eating sandwich or rice bowl as the you know the lighting is being you know set up. Oh shit! <laughs> it was oh my crazy. God. This uh, rock star. What movie was that? Mine. This is this is you know one hour. It's kind of like a music video, but almost like a movie called uh, Longinus. Okay. I, I had this uh, rock star friend, and he called me up one day and said, like, "You know, I want you to do the video for me." So of course he's a rock star. So I thought it was a music video, right? Then he said, "No, no, no. I love your short movie, The Messenger, and I want to do that that kind of stuff for sixty minutes. Like sixty minutes is almost a movie." Yeah. And, Worst timing because I was in deep in the pre-production of Godzilla Final Wars, right? So like I'm I'm doing the biggest movie this year, and you asked me to do that. So only days off, uh, of course, weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So okay, uh, all right. So fri- Friday, <laughs> we go there, and Saturday, Sunday, we don't sleep, we shoot, and Monday morning, I have I have had this big production meeting for Godzilla. So, of course, you know, Holy 46 shit. hours nonstop, and I actually made this 60 Minutes movie, which is, I'm very proud of. <laughs> oh, my but God. But if I do that here, I'll be in jail. <laughs> <laughs> 46 hours, you know, my current cast, people working, of course, I'll be in jail. I wouldn't do that. Oh, my goodness. So, of course, you know, in Hollywood, I mean, you can maybe shoot like 10 hours, 
you know. Right. Yeah. 11 hours, if you if you go overtime like 30 minutes for like three days in the first week, you know, you get fired, right? Right. Right. <laughs> but in Japan, there is no <laughs> such thing as overtime, which is crazy, but uh, sometimes it helps because, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. That's true. I can see that. Can you can you take us back to to kind of the beginning? How did how did you get introduced to horror? What, did you watch horror movies as a kid growing up? Yes, uh, I grew up uh, watching all kinds of movie. You know, okay. My favorite movie, if you ask me, is this movie called Breaking Away. It's a bicycle race movie, and this Diane uh, oh. movie, Little Romance. Those two are like you know my and and the Kevin Costner movie Fandango. Those are like my lifetime all time best. Mm. So I grew up watching all kinds of movies, but um, yes, but when I was, I think it was when I was like 10 years old, you know, I watched this uh, movie, Phantasm, and after that, I went deep into the world of like, you know, 80s horror movie. Then I start. I went back to 70s movie. I started watching like Exorcist, you know, and Changeling, mm-hmm. all that. So, um, so um, because to me, movie is... Like, you know, whatever, even though it's a scary movie, bloody movie, you know, it has to be something to give energy, you know, in your life, right? Yeah. Once yeah. you get into the movie theater with a popcorn and Coke, whatever, you know, for the next 90 minutes, two hours, you can forget about whatever the complicated, difficult thing of your life, right? So uh, it was somehow natural to me that uh, so whatever, what, even it's a Rocky or Terminator or you know Phantasm or Nightmare on Elm Street to me it's like this is like a two-hour getaway from this you know whatever happening outside right. so um then think about that then you know horror movie wh- why I appreciate horror movie is because I don't really want to experience that kind of stuff in the real life mm-hmm. <laughs> yes in, in real life you know even you just cut the tip of your finger it's just it hurts, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But in the movie, yeah, head blown off, head chopped off, and it's just all fun, right? So uh, I think that that was very fascinating to me when I was like ten year old, eleven year old. I don't, I don't want any of this happen to me in real life, but <laughs> at least in the movie theater, yes, head blown off, yes. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, were your did your parents like horror movies or like were they strict about what you could watch? Did you have to sneak watching horror movies or anything? No, no, no. Um, I I lost my mom uh, when I was like eight, so I was kind of like a lonely kid, you know. Oh. And uh, my dad was very uh, uh, the guy who think outside the box. He wasn't really he wasn't really like typical Japanese, you know. He didn't tell me you have to do this or that, you know. He thought that you know. As long as he cares about me and take care of me, you know, he let me do whatever I wanted to do. So, um, you know, he didn't, he wasn't really worried that I started mm. go deep into the, you know, horror movie. But uh, there are only two movies, you know, and he he's not a horror movie fan at all. He's more like a Humphrey Bogart kind of guy. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. guy. So I really appreciate that, you know. <laughs> Dad, thank you for just came with me to this all these crazy bloody movies, right? <laughs> but there, are, there were two movies. He just got so angry in the middle of the movie, and he's like, you know, what is this? What is this? You know, I can't, I can't stand this. I, I'm just gonna go outside, outside. I can't watch this. You know, two movie were one maniac. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> he raised a head. 
So I, I, I understand. <laughs> if you don't like horror movies, if you are Humphrey Bogart, Steve McQueen guy, of course you can't take that. But uh, but yeah. other than that, he always were, you know, there with me. Like Scanners, Friday the Thirteenth, My Bloody Valentine. You know, he could take all of that, but he couldn't take Maniac. Maniac or Eraserhead. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it makes sense though. Those are, those a, are lot. a lot. Like a racer heads a lot for me, and I love yeah. David Lynch. So. <laughs> wow. So uh, I had I had the freedom, and you know my my dad always you know supported me, you know. And mm. when I was seventeen, I just made my choice, and I decided to be film director. And I just quit high school, and even oh wow that day, my dad didn't say anything. Oh wow, <laughs> because he knew that you know I grew up. I didn't even go to school that much. I was always sneaking out. I was always, always sitting uh, in the movie theater. And when I come uh, home, I was just watching this, you know, Betamax or the VHS anyway. So uh, he knew I was, you know, that was my passion. So he supported me all the way, which was very lucky for me. That's so That's cool. Amazing. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So you mentioned Phantasm. So that is the film that we are talking about today. Before we talk about that film, we're going to take a quick break for ads and we'll be right back. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. And we're back <laughs> from our break. <laughs> our break. Um, okay. So, Ryuhei, we have, we're talking about Phantasm. Let me read a super brief synopsis for everybody before we jump into this film. Um, in phantasm and this description is from imdb and it's very silly uh in phantasm a teenage boy and his friends face off against a mysterious grave robber known only as tall man who employs a lethal arsenal of unearthly weapons that's a a very basic plot synopsis from imdb i don't know if it necessarily covers the movie but we'll go with that but Okay, so you kind of, you mentioned that this was kind of, was this your first horror movie that, that you remember being introduced to? Probably, yes. Uh, especially um, seen in the movie theater, yes. Okay. Oh, and how old theater. How old were you? Um, tell us. I was 10. How did I you, was 10 years old. You were 10? Um, how, so why is this your, your Scarred for Life pick? What what about it is is the reason that we're, t- we're here today? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I was... Um... I started watching movie like a lot of movie when I was like uh, eight year old, nine year old. Mm-hmm. The one reason was I lost my mom and I was a lonely kid. And my dad was, you know, became very busy, you know, after he lost his wife. So uh, I had to, he had to uh, send me to his sister who was living in Australia, Sydney, Australia. Oh, wow. So mm. I lived there, you know. 
And I thought I was just, you know, visiting my aunt with my dad. Then one day my dad went back to Japan and my aunt took me to the school. So I was like, oh, what? Wow. I'm, I'm staying. And yes, you have to. And I couldn't speak English at all. You know, even like, yes oh. or no, I didn't. I, I was only eight, right? So first, like a few weeks, one month, couple months were tough. But of course, you're a kid, you adjust and you right. start to learn English very quickly. And, you know, you make some friends. So, you know, after that, everything was fine. But uh, still, I knew that I had to speak English. I had to learn English. So the best way to speak English was, of course, you talk to the people and, of course, go into the movie theater. Mm -hmm. So I started going to the, that was like, a, I think, a summer vacation. You know, I had like two months off. So I went to the movie theater every day. And that's when I first, my very, you know, uh, favorite movie was this movie, Breaking Away, this bicycle mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. So okay. those days, you know, back in the 80s, right, you go into the movie theater, you can stay for the you know, entire, you know, day, right? Yeah. So, I just will go to the first show and stay till the last show, watch the same movie four times, five times. And next day I did the same. And with Breaking Away, I, I learned, you know, film uh, English. So, uh, and that's why, you know, I started watching other movies like Endless Love and all kinds of movies. Of course, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, all mm -hmm. those you know, movies coming out, right? Then I, I went back to Japan. So that's when I was really started to watching like just all kinds of movie doesn't really matter what genre right then i saw the poster of this uh, cool japanese poster of phantasm have you ever seen the japanese poster of phantasm no it, i haven't very different from american it's 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 the best you know if you yeah google is gonna yeah, come I'm out to that <laughs> right now. It's, so, it's so cool oh, so wait is it okay is it is it this one? Yeah, that's the one. Oh, that's so cool. There's that's... another one too, you know, but it's very, very different, right? It's so cool. Yeah. So I didn't even, you know, I had no idea what kind of movie is this. You know, maybe oh, I thought like, you know, this is like a sci-fi movie. Right. So I walk, you know, I, I went to watch the movie on the day came out in Japan and I just, just freaked me out. Freaked me out, but also fascinated me, you know, because, I mean, uh -huh. all this, you know, the visuals and the music and everything in the movie, still, you know, there's no other movie like Phantasm, right? No, there really isn't. 40, 40 years Absolutely. Back, <laughs> that one is somehow, it was just one and only uh, Phantasm. So uh, I was like, just fascinated by this vision. And that's when I think uh, first time, that was the first time I started to think about, you know, who made this movie? Oh, there is a job called the movie director. Then I read that Don Coscalelli made that movie when he was like 25, right? So like, what? Did he really? I didn't realize he was that yeah. young when he made Phantasm. Yeah. yeah. Oh so my God. I was like, wow, how can you, how can you do that, you know? And I was fascinated by all those, you know, cool special effects and everything. So that's why I, that opened another door. So I started watching and, and that was the right timing, 1979, 1980. That's when yeah. Friday the 13th, Halloween, My Bloody Valentine, The Prime Time, Scanners, all this, you know, crazy special makeup movies that came coming out. So uh, I was just fascinated by all of that, you know. So wow. I, I, you know, that, the tall man, the silver sphere, you know, that finger fly bug, everything in that movie scared me. But uh, what scared me most, you know, was that 
you know, the Phantasm One had that feeling of, you know, the boy's loneliness, this yes. isolation, yes. the fear of losing somebody, right? And I was at the sensitive age. I just lost my mom, right? So right. I, I yeah. just so connected to the Mike's character that, you know, it's just just he and his brother. In in my world, it was just me and my dad. And, you know, it's just like, you know, every time my dad goes to work, I mean, he worries me. And that connected yeah. so strong with the Mike's character, you know. So that 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 movie, all you know, yes, special, you know, the makeup and effects and the story, tall man, music, you know, music, everything is cool about that movie. But that overall atmosphere about this loneliness was yeah. something that grabbed me strong. I completely understand that because so the thing is, this is the first time for prep for this podcast. It's the first time I've seen this movie. Um, I I own like I was showing Mary Beth before we recorded. I own like the four disc collection i've never seen it but i i own it because i'm a horror movie fan so like i have to own all the box sets mm. so i was really excited to finally watch this movie because as a kid for me you talk about the the japanese poster for the first one well for me as a kid when i was growing up in the 80s it was the phantasm 2 poster um that like i would see and with particularly with the VHS box at like the rental stores, I would see it and it would scare the crap out of me. It was the tall man holding out his hand with like this silver ball with a corkscrew and and things coming out of it. And it's just like, what is this movie? And I just remember having I had an actual nightmare about this poster as a kid without having ever seen this movie. Just wow. I just imagine this ball flying at me and the tall man because he's really creepy in this poster. But I had never seen the movie until, well, last night when I sat down to watch it. And I was I was blown away by by the way that this movie tackles grief, loneliness yeah. and the fear of losing your family, because that is you, you don't realize it when you're first starting to watch the movie. But as we get to like the end and some of the reveals and you start to realize just how sad and lonely and how traumatized Mike is and how he doesn't want, like he's following Jody around his brother around the entire movie. And it's because he doesn't want to lose the one person that's in his life. And it's so, it's so heavy for a movie about dwarves and planets, other planets and, and a guy that is crushing people down to dwarf size. Like there's a lot of silliness up front, but there's a lot of tenderness and, smart stuff going on in this film mm. surprised me agree. yeah <laughs> and you know back in 1979 of course that was uh ages before internet right right so yeah if you're living on the countryside of japan especially there is no information about you know movie like like now right completely different time right mm -hmm. so oh, it yeah. was so funny that you know japanese distributor right uh I and you know that in Japan they sell this movie program, which is the beautiful culture of Japan. They still do. Oh really? You, you oh. This book basically at the movie every movie. Oh seriously? Yeah, oh, wow. I, really, oh, that's cool. I really hope that you know why the rest of the world don't do it, but that's like a Japanese tradition. That's so, so cool. uh I bought this program of Phantasm. I still have it, right? So I started like reading this production notes and everything. It's so funny that you know. They said in this book, like, that's Silver Sphere. That's for real. And while they were shooting this movie, the crew died. And the, the blueprint is disappeared with no reason. So now nobody knows how to operate the Silver Sphere. So, like, it's so funny. But back in 1979, people believed that. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. That's, that's real. Wow. 
That is phenomenal. <laughs> That's phenomenal, right? So when they released uh, The Burning, not, not of my favorite movie, right? That the guy, the Cropsy, right? Yes. The killer. Mm-hmm. They first teaser post that they made, I, I'm sure you can find it online, was like, you know, make the shot of the Cropsy as if like FBI wanted poster. And they said like, and they just, you know, promote as if this is like a real person. And they, no way. They, even, they even renamed him Bamboro. It's not Cropsy, Bamboro. So, you know, he's, he's been wanted by 38 states of the United States. And you know, he's still, you know, nowhere to be found. <laughs> so, back in 70s and 80s, Japanese distributors were going the totally crazy. It was so funny. <laughs> And that's we did, you know, 10 year old to Ilvin, we all believe that. Oh my God. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. The real guy. <laughs> oh my God. That's, that's incredible. Wild. Well, so so do you, were you, are you a fan of like Italian horror films, Giallo? Is that anything that you have interest in or watched as a kid at all? Because we, this movie reminds us, me and Terry, so much of Italian horror movies. So I'm curious if you had like any kind of relationship with them as a kid. Of course, of course, I, I love <laughs> all Lucio Frucci movie, <laughs> all the sound. I'm the guy who buys all, you know, all the remasters again and again and again. Oh, I, just, yeah. I just pre-ordered the Gates of Hell. Okay. I did too. Hell yeah. I did too. <laughs> and like, you know, the soundtrack of Zombie, you know, how, how many times do I have to buy this? And every time every you time. buy comes out. I mean, okay, okay, all right. 20th anniversary, 25, 30, 35. And you know what? In Japan, they just announced that 45th anniversary of Dawn of the Dead <laughs> oh. Like, oh. contains like three different versions. George Romero cut, Dario Argento cut, and this 1994 cut. Yeah, so. I, have, I have this 4K Blu-ray oh. that has like, I think it has three cuts on it, and one of them is the Dario Gento cut. Uh, that, and so it's oh. like, yeah. So, if, so you know, yes. Why yeah, do I so, need it? I don't need it, but I'm going to get it anyway, right? <laughs> yes, I, I, I grew up watching Lucio Fruci movies, Dario Gento movies. Yeah, of course. So, oh, yeah. That's what like jumped out of me with this movie in particular is the first of all, the music reminds me of Goblin a lot. Like there's a lot of like Italian oh, uh so prog rock like influences to it. And the way the movie has like this dreamlike logic to it, it reminds me a lot of um the kind of Italian horror that we were seeing um around that time. So I, I was kind of wondering, I'm I'm curious if 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 that was something that like inspired him because there's a lot of influence here. Like this feels like an American movie that is pulling from italian horror of that of that decade mm-hmm. probably yeah mm-hmm. yeah well because like i i i i have seen phantasm before i really liked it i loved it even more this time because when i it doesn't make a lot of sense like just to put it like it is very much like vibe heavy like it's more about the atmosphere of this movie mm-hmm. which i think is incredibly crafted i think they establish that, like you talked about, the loneliness and the isolation and grief of this character, but then everything else is kind of just like you kind of get it and you kind of don't, and it but it makes sense because you're kind of in you're in the kid's perspective, but everything about it is just disorienting. You don't really know who this guy is, the tall man. You don't really understand why there's an alien planet in his house. You don't understand a lot of things happening. And I feel like that's a lot of Italian movies where it is very vibe focused, atmosphere focused, 
not as focused on like the character development, but it's still so beautiful and mm-hmm. so fascinating. You can't help but love it and want to keep watching it. Like it doesn't matter if it doesn't totally make sense. It's just so well crafted. No, I totally agree. And uh, you know that that's yeah, you you just hit the spot, you know. I love phantasm because it doesn't make sense. No. <laughs> but you know any sense. So good. <laughs> Even in real life, or, you know, now I'm working on, you know, multiple script, right? It's all about to try to make sense, right? With all those notes from everybody, it's all about, you know, make sense. And even in life, but, you know, you know, life doesn't make much sense. <laughs> no, you know, doesn't it doesn't. Make sense. With this, you know, crazy virus going on, it doesn't, make, you know, make much sense, right? So, uh, right. <laughs> but I, I really think, you know, that's what makes me scared. You know, yeah. So, yeah. What, so one of the things that you know, watching this now in 2022, and for the first time, where like I have like a hor- a lot of horror knowledge from the the decade that would pre- that would uh, come after this film, it, it was weird to me because I'm watching this movie and I'm like I'm seeing shades of what would eventually be in Hellraiser a little bit, like the the idea of like this other world and the kind of cosmic sense of it. But I also was getting some like. uh Nightmare on Elm Street vibes, particularly with the way that the movie could potentially be one long dream that we're not really sure of what's happening in there. And the final jump out moment where we're supposedly in reality and the tall man jumps through the, you know, the glass or like the dwarves jump through the glass and pull him out. I was like, this shot reminds me of the ending that would be filmed like what, five years later for Nightmare on Elm Mm -hmm. Street. So there's a lot of like that kind of legacy stuff that i think this movie was establishing that people were maybe paying homage to in uh in the 80s with like hellraiser and like nightmare on elm street and that kind of stuff like it it felt it felt like a movie that maybe influenced a lot of people i agree oh, yeah. yeah i also think that this is one of the funniest movies to get a franchise i have not seen any of the other phantasms so i don't i don't know what they're what they're like but this film is just, I feel like, stands so well on its own with what it is. And it again, it's like, we're so used to slasher franchises where it's pretty straightforward about what's going on. But with this, it's just so interesting that such a weird, ethereal-feeling, bizarre film got five, four other sequels. It's just like, it's incredible to me that that is what got a franchise. I don't hate it. It's just very funny because this movie does not feel like a franchisable thing. <laughs> At all, yes. to me. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree. Of course, I watched you know <laughs> all of the franchise, but, yeah. <laughs> but, but the first one has just it's in the different planet. I think the f- original Phantasm. Are the sequels good? Yeah, yeah, sequels are pretty good, but yeah. uh, you know, but it's very different, right? You know? Yeah, mm. it's it's more like action horror entertainment. You know, don't have that that feeling that I love about okay. the first, you know, Phantasm. But uh, of course, still, you know, you have Tall Man, you have Mike, and you have like you know, Shotgun and Silver Sphere. So how what do you need, right? You not to love it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> you know, speaking of like indie filmmaking, though, because you were talking about you know sometimes working really long on sets over in Japan. When I was when I was looking at at this movie and like the filming behind it, I I saw that filming was mostly done on the weekends and lasted for about twenty hours a day sometimes. And he did it for almost a year to get this movie made. So like this was like a passion project, <gasps> and I. I when I was when I was looking some at some research, Reg, Reggie Bannister, who plays Reggie in the film, was talking about the production playing kind of flying by the seat of their pants, where they would the script was changing often, and I think 
instead of being like a detriment to the film, it kind of adds to like the the sort of dreamlike feel of it where you don't really know where it's going to go, probably because as they were filming it, they were constantly changing the script. And so I think there is a lot of like invention here that I think adds to the kind of mythology of this film. I was thinking particularly with like the way the film is shot, it's very dark. There's a lot of really black blacks in it that like kind of almost like hug this the scenery there's like a shot in the beginning of the mausoleum mm-hmm. and it's dark out and it's just the entire picture is black except for this mausoleum that's sort of floating there and it feels very ethereal it feels very dreamlike and i i know that that's probably because they were filming by the seat of their pants and couldn't really you know light scenes and stuff but it really adds i feel to the ambiance of this film in a way that it feels like a a, a happy accident in a way. Oh, yeah. Yes, I mean, you you need that to make <laughs> a movie special. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I also, something I thought about a lot watching this movie was how much it feels like an extended chase sequence for an, like an hour oh. and a half. And because there are so many moments of Jody leaving and leaving Mike behind. I mean, you would have thought after the first time, you would have been like, maybe I shouldn't leave my brother by himself, but whatever. And poor Mike is in the house trying to be like stay safe and then once again the tall man shows up at the front door in something and it also made me think about if the, if this is in fact a dream i have a lot of nightmares about being chased by things that seem to last forever so in reflecting on how this ending might be a whole this whole thing might have been a dream it does reflect that ethereal like that experience we keep saying the word ethereal that experience of being chased through a whole dream because i mean like if that if that is what's happening it does just feel like you're going through an extended chase sequence and it's so scary like there's never a moment where once they kind of get into it it doesn't let up and that's terrifying in and of itself especially again because mike's 13 like he and he looks like a kid and horror movies it's always like you know, teenagers, older kids, but he's like like a kid kid. And that's even <laughs> scarier to see this main character kid be in so much danger the whole time. Yeah, I can't Im- I can't imagine seeing this um as a kid, honestly, particularly <laughs> <laughs> like you said, you Avery, you're walking in and you have this poster of almost a sci-fi looking movie, and <laughs> that's not what you get. Like I can't imagine. <laughs> Like did that, that did that make you want to like seek out more horror films? Yes, definitely. It freaked me out, but it fascinated me. So I, I just next day I went back. I think I think you know I stayed there all day, and I went back like next day. Yeah, watched like wow. twenty times, thirty times at the movie theater when it came out. Wow! Holy yeah. cow! That's so cool. And wow. you know those days, you know there's again there's no internet and there's no no not even like VHS. You know there was some, but uh, you know they were they were they weren't much. So uh, I knew that you know once the movie theater is showing is over, you never know when can you, never you know. mm-hmm. watch this movie again. So what I did was you know. I asked my dad to buy me this thing called micro cassette, which can record up to 120 minutes. <laughs> so I recorded everything on the last day of the last show. And even after the movie is gone, I was just listening only to the sound, you know. Oh my gosh. I, I, did, I did that to a lot of movies like the Phantasm and like the Exterminator, Raise the Titanic, all those movies I recorded and I was just listening. But I think that was, you know, to be honest, kind of like a good training for yeah. me as a movie director because I was yeah. you know, 
because there's no visual. I was just listening to the dialogue and sound effects and music, you know. The picture I was just making up in, you know, reconstructing my mind. And that was a good training to be the film director. Yeah. Wow. So is that something that you just you started to continually do is record the the audio for movies then? When I when I was a kid, yes. When you were a kid? Before the VHS or before the DVD, laser disc. That's yeah, amazing. Because that was the only way to revisit the movie, you know. You wow. know, so I, I remember yeah. back in those days, like, uh, I remember having a Super Nintendo and uh, playing um, the Lion King video game. Mm-hmm. And I would bring out my own cassette tape and I would record the music off of that so that I would have like the music to listen to. And so you get kind of ingenious in terms of back then when you're like, you don't really have, because like you said, there's no internet, there's no way of like accessing things. Typically, mm-hmm. the things that you do to, you know, get up and keep it for forever. That's, that's wild. Yes. <laughs> so after what, like a, 30, 30 years, 35 years, I became friends with a uh, great Don Coscarelli. Did you really? He sent me a signed remastered vinyl of Phantasm soundtrack. Oh, <laughs> that was so, like that's cool. so another cool. dreams come true moment. I had lunch with Don Coscarelli, and yeah, he promised me to the remastered vinyl is coming out, so I'm gonna send you, and he did, you know. <laughs> you know, he's had a fun career. Um I, I really like the, some of the movies that he did um, in the in the 2000s, too, with like mm-hmm. uh, um, John Dies at the End. He wrote, I think yeah. he also directed that. And um, gosh, what what Bubba Hotep. That's when yes. I was like, what is that name? Bubba Hotep. He's had he's yeah. had a good he's had a good career of fun no, he's movies. Great. He's great. Yeah, that's wild. You got to meet him, though. That's 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 like a full circle moment. You see him <laughs> his movie as a kid. And now yes. that's so cool. Well, <laughs> Do we want to start wrapping up and give this our ratings out of five? Sounds good to me. All right, Terry. So you are up first. How many boys out of five? (laughs) Boy, not boys, whatever. Out of five, do you give Phantasm? Oh, man. Angret, I I always get his name. Angus Angus Scrim. Scrim. The best actor name for a man who plays a horror villain. His name is Angus Scrim. Like that is just almost a joke. It's incredible. It's great. He has such a presence in this movie. Uh and what an unlikely villain that would continue through the the sequels. I just I you know, like I said, this was my first time actually finally watching this movie after having years of I I don't even know why I never saw it. I I remember the posters terrifying me as a kid. Maybe that just sort of lingered with me. Um I don't really know why I didn't didn't watch it but it was an absolute blast and i i cannot wait to break open my my blu-ray set and watch the other ones now because i just there's so much inventiveness in this it's goopy it's scary it's funny uh it's really they do he manages to pull off a whole lot with such a, a small relatively small budget and it's obviously a labor of love so for me this was like a honestly four and a half boy uh, out of five for me this I really had a blast with this what about you Mary Beth so when I first saw this and watched it with my dad he was making fun of it the whole time he was like being really rude so I didn't have the best viewing experience and so because I I have I liked it I was really into it but it, I didn't remember a lot of it and watching it now I just I love how little sense it makes I love the dream logic I love the sound like the score is just so 
incredible. I think everything about it just makes my skin crawl. Like, and that's, mm. a, that's a compliment. And so I actually think I might have to give this five. I think this might be like a movie that I'm obsessed with now. Um, I've decided that this might be one of my new favorite horror movies. That's hell yeah. So anyway, love it. But Ryuhei, you have the final word. How many boy out of five do you give it? <laughs> Come on, if you're asking me, it's millions of boy. <laughs> millions of them. So many. <laughs> Uh, that's fantastic. But I, I just want to say one more thing about Angus Grimm. He is the scariest man. If I saw him on the street, I would run away. I went to talk about him more, but he just has, like you said, a presence and the way he walks and the way he just appears and his hair. I just, I could never, I, it, it's such a plain seeming character at first, but I love just a creepy guy in a suit. There's something about a Bell Horry Mill that's just a man in a suit that is just so incredible to me. So I just wanted to say another Angus Scrim shout out real quick before we finish. <laughs> he's his, he's able to like cut you down with a look like the way just the way he would like side eye Mike in this movie was like, yeah, this guy, this guy scares me. <laughs> and, you know, that, that's pretty uh, obvious influence on Midnight Me Train, that Vinnie Jones character. Mahogany. Yep, I can see that. In, yes! in with the, the way he walks. <laughs> yes, that's a huge influence from, you know, the tall man. Hell yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryuhei, for joining us to talk about Phantasm. Um, do you have social media? Where can our listeners find you? And the floor is yours. What do you What do you have coming up? What do you want to talk about? No, I just keep on. Yes, please uh, go watch The Price We Pay. This is very 80s, 90s vibe. Crazy, crazy, bloody fun movie. You know, popcorn movie. So yeah. uh, I, I, if you're a horror fan, splatter movie fan, I'm sure you're gonna love it. So uh, please support the movie. And uh, I'll, I'm already studying my uh, next movie, which is gonna be another kind of horror thriller survival movie. It takes place on the ocean. That's all I can say. Ooh. It's gonna be very different from uh, my uh, yeah other movies. But it's, it's gonna be a new challenge. But uh, it, it's gonna be great. Script is great. I'm working hard right now. So. Uh, I'm pretty sure that we will be talking again within probably within a year, right? So uh, yes, I just keep on making good movie, and uh, and I even started my own brand called Cross Counter X L O S S Counter, and you can just look it up in my Instagram or something. But uh, I actually released uh, the Exterminator, <laughs> cult classic action movie from 1980. You know the Exterminator soundtrack t-shirt and hoodies and uh, keep on releasing crazy movie maniac items you know so uh please you know check and out listeners I'm, we're looking at the shirt right now you're wearing it and it's 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 really cool i really like it so, yeah, we'll, so include, uh, we'll include the, uh, yeah. the links to that in the show notes too so everyone can go check them out yes please that'll be great so uh yeah so I'll, I'll be doing a lot of things as always. So uh, looking forward to surprise you guys with my next movie too. So thank I you so much. Wait. You just you <laughs> so sold me with excited. like aquatic horror. I love movies set in the ocean or around water. So that's that's exciting. <laughs> yes, I'll do my best. <laughs> so listeners, you heard from us, but we want to hear from you. What was your experience with 
phantasm. You can send us an email at scarredforlifepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us directly on Twitter. I'm at MB McAndrews. And I'm at Gailey Dreadful. And of course, don't forget to follow the podcast on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. And please don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe and sign up for our Patreon if you want to help support us. Thank you to Eric Power for our artwork. Thank you to Sean Keller for our music. Thank you everyone for listening. Please stay safe out there. But most importantly, stay creepy. And until next time. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. What is The Briefing Room? It's a behind-the-scenes look at how the criminal justice system works and the lives of the people within that system. If you love true crime, well, these are the real people who do the job every day of making sure justice is served. Hi, I'm Detective Dave. I'm Detective Dan. Together, we have decades of experience in local law enforcement, a profession that we think is often misunderstood. So we're going to explore how to do it right, and we won't shy away from when it's done wrong. These are stories you'll hear nowhere else. Unique, frank, and unvarnished. From the team that brought you Small Town Dicks, this is The Briefing Room. Episode 1 drops on August 30th. We'll meet you in The Briefing Room. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.